I invite you all now to open your Bibles and the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 2. We're going to read the last couple of verses from Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. Receive this with faith. This is the word of God to us. Thus says the Lord. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I once heard a story of two stone cutters. You might have heard it too. It's not a new story. There are two stone cutters working. A passerby comes and asks what they're doing. The first one responds quickly. I'm cutting this stone in a perfectly square shape. The other one gives it a second thought, waits a little bit, and then says, I'm building a cathedral. We could imagine the first stonecutter pausing at the second's reply and then saying to, his, to himself, that's right, I, I, I forgot, but we are building a cathedral. In light of this story, let me ask you this. What are you doing here? Why do you come to church? Or better, what do you come here for? If you're a seasoned believer, as the years go by, after hundreds of Sundays coming and going, it's easy sometimes, isn't it, to just go with the flow and become like the stone cutter and the first stone cutter and kind of forgetting what we're doing here, isn't it? If you're new to the Christian faith, maybe you're still asking the same question. Yes, I understand who Jesus is. I understand the consequences of my sins. I understand the blessings of his salvation. I love all that, but what does, have, what does all that have to do with me being here every Sunday? And most importantly, why do we have to keep coming? Why do I have to come not only this Sunday, but the next and the next, and the next. The truth is, no matter how, for how long you have been a believer, in the daily trenches of Christian life, we are always under the temptation to forget why God calls us into His body, the church, and what He will accomplish through the church and for the church. Today, we interrupt our regularly scheduled programming to bring you this special message about how God brings people together to build up His church and how we relate to one another in that process. Maybe this is too much to ask of you, but as I mentioned, if you would remember two years and one global pandemic ago, February of 2020, 
We spend a whole month discussing what it means to be, why would we want to be, and how can we become a welcoming church. Today, we go back to that. Today, in the words of a preacher who was supposed to be here, but it's not, we have our great reset. Today, the Holy Spirit who inspired the Apostle Paul to write this cathedral-building manual in the form of a letter to the church of Ephesus will tell you why we want to be a welcoming church. Today's text will answer why we are here, what we are doing here, and why we want more people to come and join us. Today, finally, God is showing us through His Word that the church is where God is building a family and a home for Himself. Again, this is the main idea of this text. You should take it into your heart and into your life. The church is where God is building a family and a home for Himself. We will see this in three points today. And the first one is, in Christ we find a new home. Again, in Christ we find a new home. So then... Paul begins our section in verse 19. Paul is bringing home a, a point that he started making all the way back in verse 11 of chapter 2. But in a broader sense, this is the culmination of everything he has written so far in this letter. And what was that, you may ask? Well, Paul is, has been talking about our blessings in Christ in chapter 1. And then he talks about salvation and reconciliation in chapter 2. This could be summed up in chapter 2 by verse 16, when he talks about how Jesus' blood reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. This is the message of Ephesians so far. Jesus' blood reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. So then, Paul can say, he brings his argument to a close, showing us the consequence of this salvation and this bringing near. We have been saved and brought near. So then. The first consequence that we see in our text is that we who have been brought near are no longer, no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints, and we are members of the household of God. These two ideas, strangers and aliens, have a strong geopolitical connotation. We were foreigners, and now we are citizens. Being international students living here in the U.S. on student visas, Maria and I understand very well what it, what it means to be a stranger and an alien. We are, of course, officially known and recognized by the U.S. government as non-resident aliens that is written on our passports. We are here, we are allowed to be here, but we are not from here. I can only be today here doing what I'm doing right now because my school authorized this particular church to train me in specific tasks related to my field of studies. I cannot just go and preach anywhere I want if I had an invitation to do that. Otherwise, we cannot work 
not only in a regular job, but we are even forbidden from performing for free any activity that would take the place of a paid worker. <clears throat> Mari being my spouse, following a student, she cannot work at all in, under any circumstances. My social security number is somewhat restricted and Mari does not, does not even get the chance to have one, which means we don't have a credit score. We don't have a credit card. We cannot start an adoption process. We cannot buy a house. We cannot vote. We need special permission to leave the country and then another special permission to come back. In sum, we can take a look, but please, please don't touch anything. And that, my brothers and sisters, is our spiritual condition apart from our salvation in Jesus Christ. Before coming to Christ, we are strangers and non-residential and student aliens in this world. In Him, however, if we can push the metaphor that far, you have a heavenly green card. You are a socially secured part of God's family through Jesus Christ, your older brother. This means that having a home, of course, you're now part of a family. You belong to God and to all others who also belong to God. That means that our vertical relationship with God results in horizontal reconciliation and fellowship with all the saints. No Christian is an island entire of itself, to paraphrase the great English poet John Donne. The Lord himself is reminding us today through Paul's letter that no Christian is an island, and the life of any other single Christian affects yours. That is the first thing we learned from this text. We have been welcomed into a loving family. Whenever you feel tired and discouraged, and I know that happens, remember you are not alone in this walk. And in the household of God, you have brothers and sisters to share, to share your burdens with and sustain you in their prayers. You have people who can help you with your needs, or who maybe will just sit at your side in silence when the pain is too much to even put into words. That's what we get when we get this family. The command to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice implies a community that do, does both things together. So look around. You're not alone. Right now, Look around. These are your sisters and your brothers. In Christ, you received a new home. However, at the same time that this reality is comfort for all believers, this should still instill great and holy fear in all of us. This text presents a great challenge as we strive to welcome others into this household. If Christ ransomed his bride with his own blood, breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, as Paul says early in Ephesians, 
Why do we insist on rebuilding the walls that Christ tore down? If God blesses us in this building a welcoming church, as they say, they will come. Foreigners, outcasts, rich, poor, uneducated, doctors, Republicans, Democrats, homeschoolers, public school students and teachers, people who do not like, who do, people who do not look like you or me, who might not like the same things you and I do, people who might not like hymns in the organ, or people whose kids will run around spilling half-eaten muffin crumbles on the carpet. Listen to this, all you who are members of the household of God. You have been welcomed when you did not deserve it. So now, the Lord urges you, do not let your political, social, racial, cultural, or theological squabbles alienate those Jesus purchased to bring them to this particular flock. Hear this warning, my sisters and brothers. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And look, I know this is hard. Some of us are natural small talkers and shine brighter when we have the opportunity to talk to strangers and make them feel at home. Most of us, however, not so much. We are in the OPC after all. How can we have any hope of becoming, each of us, a welcoming church member? And it gets deep. Does the unity of the church depend on my ability to love other people? Because I know myself. If it depends on me and my ability to love other people, we're in trouble. But calm down, because it does not. The good news of the gospel is that our receiving of all of God's blessings does not depend on us. It is not the labor of our hands that will fulfill the law's demands as we sing, and it is not our ability or skills that will keep the church building standing straight. No. The secret of success lies quite literally at the foundation of the building. And this leads us to our second point this morning. In Christ, we rest upon a solid foundation. Again, in Christ, we rest upon a solid foundation. In verse 20, Paul starts mixing up the metaphors. If we are members of a household in terms of a family, in verse 19, he moves on to talk about the building itself now. This house is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the foundation, and the, the foundation follows the standard and the angles of the cornerstone, the first stone laid in the construction. First, we need to understand who are these apostles and prophets. Paul is talking here 
about men in the New Testament era who spoke and spread the news about the precious cornerstone before we had their teaching, their teaching written in Scripture. This is why they are called the foundation, for they are laid on top and around the initial stone, Jesus, and they were the ones who gave, him, gave us, handed of, over to us his word. Even lo long after their deaths, we have in, in writing what the apostles and prophets taught the first generation of New Testament believers about Jesus, who he is, and what he has done for us. And then we build our churches right now on this foundation. This is precisely what John sees in Revelation 21. And the angel, the angel carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And then he says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. They are the foundation that rests upon Jesus and which upon we rest our churches. And then we go deeper, literally. And the second thing we need to understand from the text then is that everything hangs up, hangs upon Jesus himself. He is before all things, Paul says elsewhere. And in him, all things hold together. He is, after all, the prophesied precious stone by Isaiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Isaiah wrote in chapter 28, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And then he adds, Whoever believes will not be in haste. He is the cornerstone prophesied by the psalmist in Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Dear sisters and brothers, God is building a glorious cathedral. And its sure foundation, what makes it stand, is Jesus Christ, her Lord. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride, we sing. With his own blood, he bought her. And for her life, he died. Because the cornerstone was rejected, is what we are seeing. Because the cornerstone was crushed in our place, but rose again on the third day and is seated right hand at the right hand of God right now. Because his prophets and apostles handed down to us what they received directly from him, we now have this magnificent building the church, built upon the foundation of those who first announced him, crucified, resurrected, and ascended into glory and power. One commentator then explains, he's the stone by which every other stone is the foundation, and the superstructure must be measured. Thus, the building of the new person, the church, must be in conformity with the cornerstone, Christ Jesus. Because of this, we realize that the church is no mere 
human project, but a divine institution. If we were the foundations of the church, it would undoubtedly and most surely be as spiritually skewed as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And this realization, as we have been thinking, can lead us to discouragement and even despair. If it depends on us, this building is going to fall. Instead, I urge you this morning, let us look to Christ, the cornerstone, the surety of our faith. And remember that this building is not a fruit of our vain aspirations, but a project whose blueprints come from heaven. The welcoming church endeavor is not ultimately something that comes from the heart of Pastor Larry or Pastor Andrew or the session. This is something God himself expects of us. Simply put, he expects us to be like Christ, who welcomed repentant sinners with open arms, who preached repentance to all, but was a burden to none. We are being built by him. And as Paul himself asserted somewhere else, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our family. Jesus is our foundation. And with this, we can see that Jesus is our hope and our goal, which leads us to our final point. In Christ, we hope for a glorious purpose. Again, in Christ, we hope for a glorious purpose. In verses 21 and 22, Paul concludes his argument. Let's reread those verses. In whom, that is Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In these two verses that say the same thing in parallel ways, Paul tells us what God is doing in the church. Why is he doing this? Why did he bring us together and build us upon Jesus? Because in this building, we become a holy temple for the Lord to dwell. Even before I explain it, think about that for a second. We become a holy temple for the Lord to dwell. To understand the weight of these statements, we need to look back on the context of this letter. Throughout the entire letter, the Apostle Paul talks about the former enmity between Jews and Gentiles and how God brings all together into this new household. Here at the conclusion then, Paul takes advantage of the only thing these two people have in common to illustrate his point. Both Jews and Gentiles, the Gentiles in Ephesus particularly, found their gods in their respective temples. So first, let us hear how Antipater of Sidon, an ancient Greek poet, describes the temple of Artemis, the famous Diana of the Ephesians, who the original readers of this letter were so familiar with. Here's how he describes the temple of Diana. 
I have set eyes on the wall of the lofty Babylon, on which is a road for chariots, and the statue of Zeus by the Alpheus, and the hanging gardens, and the colossus of the sun, and the huge labor of the high pyramids, and the vast tomb of Mausolus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, Lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on not so grand. This is something that the Ephesians would see every day going to work. Second, talking of Jews now, this is how the temple of Jehovah, the God of Israel, is described by John Mark, a first century gospel writer in Mark 13. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. What Paul is getting at by comparing the church to a temple is that in this new order of creation, the new creation in Christ, God dwells not in a temple of stony stones, but a temple of living stones that is way more magnificent than these two temples that they knew from before. The temple of the living stones is way more wonderful than the great temple of Diana, of the Ephesians, or even the temple in Jerusalem in all its glory. Bringing these things together, one commentator puts it, puts it this way. After conversion, both believing Jews and Gentiles must feel God and his dwelling place drastically different. Before, he says, both Jews and Gentiles could see the stone buildings in which your gods or God dwelt. But now, the one true God is dwelling in them, the collective entity called the church. God, my beloved brothers and sisters, is the stone cutter building a cathedral for him to dwell. And to do it, the Apostle Peter tells us in one of his letters, he lays each one of us like living stones built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In Christ, the cornerstone, his brothers and sisters are cut, shaved, measured, weighted, refined, cut again, polished, cut again a little bit more, and glued into a holy cathedral. And then, in this beauty, God himself comes and lives with them through his spirit. Yes, it is an arduous process. Like the stone cutters from our initial illustration, for the cathedral to be built, God must shave and align each individual stone before putting it there. That means he will work through his word and spirit to smooth out all our sharp personalities, all our uneven corners of cultural bias. 
Not to erase our individualities, not at all. That's not what I'm saying or Paul is saying. He's not turning stones into dust to mix into concrete, if I can push the metaphor that far. No. What he's doing is shaping us into the likeness of his son in a way that supports the addition of new stones. And then he will add more stones and more stones and more stones and more stones. To be a welcoming church is to be used by the founder and perfecter of our faith to shape the living stones that comprise his dwelling place. It is to be instruments in our Redeemer's hand to build up a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This, after a very long answer, is what we are doing here at the church, is why we're here, is what we came for, and is why we keep coming. We are being shaped, transformed, and built into a temple of living stones who are not silent, but are crying out the news of the gospel to all four corners of this earth so that new stones will come and join us. Through us, through you and me, God is building a cathedral for himself. And let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, what a privilege is to see this building growing and expanding and in anticipation of the last great day. That day when Jesus will present his bride perfect, standing straight, a building with no leaks, molded sides, or clogged gutters. What a glorious day when her architect, the stonecutter groom, will say to her and about her, what wonderful stones and what a wonderful beauty. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for calling us into the company of those who trust in Christ and seek to obey his will. You have made us strangers no longer, but pilgrims together on the way to your kingdom. Guide us closer to you and to one another in the welcoming unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and love. And strengthen us together in mission and service to those you want us to reach through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the cornerstone's name we pray, and together we all say, Amen. Amen.